Travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. According to japantrains.com, the Japan Rail System is among the most advanced in the world with over 30,000 kilometers of train lines. Despite an expansive network, the Japanese system is also very efficient and easy to navigate, even for first-time visitors. Perhaps the greatest challenge of exploring Japan by train may be what type of ticket to buy and where to go. Today we'll speak with a man who has recently explored Japan by rail and has agreed to come on Talk Travel Asia to share his experience with us. I am Trevor Ranges in chilly Siem Reap, Cambodia, and with me again is Scott Coates in, I think it's kind of cool there too, Scott, Bangkok, Thailand. How's, it, how's the weather? Yeah, it's, it's uh, cool. People will be angry when you say that uh, 26 degrees is cool, but woke up today. It is November 20th, 2023, and it was 20 degrees this morning. It's going down to 20 again, so we don't get a lot of days like this in the year, and so I'm super pumped. I'm also pumped to talk about train travel in Japan, and I think I used the train a bit on my first trip there in 1993, which was the start of a one-year backpacking trip. But since then, I've used the Shinkansen with a pass uh, when I traveled to Hiroshima and onwards to Kyoto with uh, Greg Jorgensen from the Bangkok podcast. That was about 2006. And I think we might have landed in Hiroshima or Nagoya, maybe. I've also done it from Tokyo to Kyoto and Nara and Osaka. And then I've gone up into the mountains up to Matsumoto and uh, some of the mountain communities up there. So yeah, I've, I've ridden some of their trains and it's always a bloody pleasure. Wow. Okay. So on the one hand, that's Scott and, and Trevor. I've been out clubbing in tokyo a few times and mm -hmm. like you, you stumble out at like four or five a.m and the trains don't open until six so you gotta like find some street food and sit at the stairs outside the train station until it opens and uh my other train experience in japan was uh almost as bad the the, the subways in tokyo are crazy it's massive there's like sure you know like 34 different colors there, there's some there's more colored lines than you knew there was colors you know and and i ended up like getting to the airport late and i had to like jump over Dang, it was crazy it was like a, a commercial and then they said it was too late i was gonna miss the flight I, we might have talked about this in airport layover stories or something like that so I'll, I'll i'll put that link on our show notes so people can hear that story but uh both my japan train experiences were like challenging ones okay but it was just strictly kind of subways and city type trains that you've been on there in tokyo yeah yeah, Tokyo. I haven't explored the country by train at all, which would be cool because I, I imagine they have like amazing trains everywhere. Like if the trains like that around the city, they must have trains in between every city. Yeah. And my experience was, you know, the major big routes cross country in between major centers. They have, you know, all classes right up to those famous bullet trains, the Shinkansen. But I've taken slower ones, too. And those are a pleasure. You know, they're clean. They move along well. But the one thing I really do remember is they're always, always on time, which is super cool. 
about the trains errors. If it says it leaves at like 11 minutes past the hour, it leaves at 11 minutes past the hour. And I also remember on some of the nicer, longer trains, they'll have attendants that come and check the tickets or sell things. And as they move their way through your car, when they're just about to leave your car for the next one, they turn and they look down the car and they bow and sort of bow to everyone in the car and then move along to the next train. So it's it's ultra clean, it's ultra efficient, ultra polite. It's it's ultra Japan, man. Yeah, I think it's got to be a great way. I'm actually when we decided to do this show with Ryan, I got excited about going to Japan again because after our episode with Mark and Mark gave us such great advice, uh, I was like, ah, I can't drive a car, and and I. I had pictured driving around so much for some reason in my mind that uh, I, I never imagined trains being able to get you everywhere, and they probably pretty much can. Yeah. Well, before we get into it, remember, uh, this show is kindly kept going by people that are called patrons. They donate a few dollars a month upwards to keep the show happening. And not only do they get a happy feeling, but they get a special little bonus something in between these episodes. Sometimes it's a video. Sometimes it's a conversation. Trevor and I recently talked about the marijuana laws in Thailand and also shared recently a video of traveling Taiwan. So make sure you get in on those like Stephanie R., a longtime listener. So thanks for that, Stephanie. And let's get into it with Ryan. Ryan Verberkmos has authored over 130 guidebooks to destinations worldwide, including Lonely Planet guidebooks to Oahu, Hawaii, Indonesia, Crete, and Sri Lanka. Today, he joins us from Greece to talk about Japan. Thanks for coming on the show, Ryan. Hey, great to be here. So before we get into it, Ryan, can you give people the 411? Who is Ryan? What does he do? What's your quick background? So I grew up in California. I worked as a journalist for many years and then by some strange coincidences, literally fell into travel writing back in 1997. And then after it quickly fell in with Lonely Planet. And actually, I should update my bio. It's now been about 150 guidebooks and have just been I spent some time working in house at Lonely Planet. I've done a little bit of writing for other people like The Economist, but Really, it's been mostly Lonely Planet, and it's been mostly, I have been incredibly fortunate for somebody who always wanted to travel, starting when I was a kid, to get paid to travel all over the world. Yeah, it's a good gig. And it's funny that you stuck with it because it was something that I sort of fell into too. But uh, I wanted to be a writer. So I had to stop being a travel writer in order yep. to, to, to focus yep. on writing, I guess, because you don't want to write your free time when you're writing for work. Yeah. Uh, but no. the travel part is definitely cool, you know, and, and you must have seen some amazing things over your career. All sorts of stuff, but it's absolutely right about being a travel writer because when you go to do what I call real writing, you find you're essentially trying to write a 15-word description of a cafe, and uh, that doesn't work for serious journalism. So you have to re you have to get out of your rut. Well, we're gonna dive into Japan today. When was the first time you visited Japan, uh, Ryan, and and what was it that took you there, and what were some of your initial impressions? Uh, first time to Japan was 1993. I was on my way to Indonesia and there was a break in the flights in Japan. So rather than just hang around Narita for a couple hours, I hung around Japan for a few days. Uh, I had always been fascinated by Japan growing up in California. Uh, in the Bay Area, where there's actually a number of Japanese gardens. I'd always just somehow been drawn and 
uh, to Japanese gardens. And even the house I grew up in, our neighbors, their entire landscaping was Japanese style. And I always loved it. I always felt an affinity for it. So when I had the opportunity to spend a few days in Japan, I did. And I have been back many times since. I have never actually written about Japan. I think of Japan as one of my enjoyable places I've not had to <laughs> trade commercially to earn money off of. I simply go there and love being in Japan. Yeah, that's great. That's another thing that I used to kind of like to do is travel and not write about it, right? So it's kind of cool yes. to have some place that's sort of your like... I don't know, your respite or a place that you can enjoy without having to take photos of it all, you know? So, yes. So you went maybe a few times like today, I guess we're going to talk about like a train trip that you went on, like are trains something that you're particularly interested in, or was that just like kind of a, like, Hey, that's a cool way to travel Japan. Like how did specifically did that come about? You know, I love riding trains, uh, because you, they're comfortable for the most part and you sit there and you look out the window. It's as simple as that. You know, they, there's a schedule to them. You don't have to think about it. You get on, you ride the train, you enjoy yourself. So that, that, that just is my deep, deep affinity for trains in a nutshell. Um, it's why I like traveling around Europe because of the train network and the train system. Uh, I will, you know, whenever I get a chance, just head to Europe and start riding trains and see where I end up. So it's the same deal in Japan. Uh, what happened was this year I had had a huge run of work and I wanted to take a month off and it was post pandemic. I spent a lot of time in Bali for work and for life in general. Um, and I had not been there since before the pandemic and I have a lot of friends, people I care about there. So I wanted, I made a trip there to see them. And then I thought, well, I'll spend a couple other weeks in Asia. What should I do purely for fun? And I thought I would go overland between mm -hmm. Singapore and Bangkok, which is something I wanted to do for a long time. And so I was starting to plan that out. And I saw something that said, oh, Japan is reopening after the pandemic. Japan rail passes are half price. And I thought, oh, half price, that's a rare opportunity because Japan is a high cost destination. Uh, so I looked into it and ended up saying, well, I can go to Bangkok from Singapore another day. Uh, I'm going to Japan in February to take advantage of the half price rail passes. So that's exactly what I did. That's cool. I love that you just jumped at the opportunity. So it was February a couple of years ago. How long? No, no, this year. Ah, this, this year. year. So February 2023. Yeah, this year. Super cool. Yes, sir. So you went there to travel by rail for a month or like how long did you have and what was sort of the game plan before you touched down? So I had two weeks and my major goal was to go places I had never been. I knew I would end up spending a few days in Tokyo just because I love Tokyo. Mm. I find it endlessly fascinating. So though I've been in Tokyo many times before, it is so big, it is so vast that each time you go, it's like you haven't been there before because you can go to another area you've yet to experience. But the rest of the country, my rule was it had to be new. Hmm. And that, that, dovetailed nicely with having a train pass because it gave me the flexibility to sort of 
make my plans as I went along because I was going in February, dead of winter. And, you know, there's there's the magical snow-covered scenery that everyone loves. But, you know, if you're traipsing around and it's frozen outside, to me, that gets a little old quickly. So I wanted to be able to let the weather help guide me uh, because I had two weeks. I probably needed about 20 years to properly see what I wanted to. So obviously it was going to be pretty attenuated, but I could pick and choose a few highlights and just call it on the fly. If I liked the town, stay there. If I was ready to move on, move on. Train pass in hand. Okay, so that like you bought like a two week ticket and it's like unlimited rides between every destination in, in the country? Yes. Yes. Okay. And is it like a, a class though? Is it all like, did you get like a, a, any sleeper car? Is there like, you know, is it first class, second class, third class style or, or how do you do it? So the pass comes in first class, second class. Uh, first class in Japan is called green class or the green cars. Uh, because it was half off, I said, I'm going first class. So that's exactly nice. what I did. It's quite a bit different from people who, if they're familiar with your rail passes or getting a pass for travel, it's one of the passes for traveling around Europe. Uh, it's, it's fussier and more complex. Those are not obstacles to keep from doing it, but it's stuff to be aware of. One of the things I lucked out was you still need to have a paper coupon with you when you arrive in Japan. You can't buy it online and get even a PDF. You have to have a properly stamped coupon you redeem in Japan for your actual pass. So fortunately, I came up with the scheme right before I left US and I was able to find a pass vendor who could FedEx it to me overnight as I was leaving for the airport. Because if I had already been in Bali and decided to buy a pass for Japan, it would have been really, really difficult because you need to have this piece of paper, which you trade at the first train station you encounter for an actual physical pass. Wow, a piece of paper. I remember last time I was here yeah. doing some business, the, the company I was at was still using fax machines. So that that's yes. kind of funny. How do you figure out if it's worth getting the rail pass? And, and how do you actually get it then? You have to get it before you land or something, don't you? You absolutely have to have your, your embossed certificate in hand when you land in Japan. Uh, a couple of the companies say they can track you down in Tokyo and maybe get it to you, but that all seemed a little bit hazy and uncertain. And my plans for this trip were not to start in Tokyo anyway. So definitely get your pass in advance. Uh, you can look up train fares online. So you can, if you have a rough idea of what you want to do, you can pretty quickly determine if it's going to pay to have the pass or not. Mm -hmm. However, Japanese trains are very expensive in both first and second class. And unlike European or U.S. trains, they're not they don't have airline style pricing. So the fare is the fare. Whether huh. you buy the ticket two months in advance or you buy it right before you get on the train, there are no deals. There's no, oh, you know, 60 days out, I got the $9 ticket. That doesn't exist. Okay. You look up the prices, you add them up, and then you compare them to the pass. Because the pass was half off, it was very clear it was going to be a great deal. 
And I also appreciated the ability to just keep adding in side trips if I wanted to, you know, whether whether it was a day trip or a detour, uh, knowing I didn't have to think about the costs involved. One other important note about a Japan Rail Pass is that in the same way, you know, you discovered in the office that they were still using faxes. <laughs> well, you can't, you, you need to, especially if you have a first class pass, you have to reserve a seat on whatever train you're going to take um, in advance. And the reservation is usually free, but you have to, again, have reservation to do it, which you have to do at the stations. Only in a few cases can you get the seat reservation online. So what I ended up doing was my evening routine before I'd walk to have dinner someplace is I would walk by a train station and go to the machines, which have an English function, to get my seat reservations for the next day. Ah. So that was that was something I had to keep in mind too. So you couldn't just turn up at the station and hop on a train. You had to have a little piece of paper that a machine spat out at you, allowing you to sit on that train. Now, that was for the first-class pass. If you have a second-class pass, there are always cars that you don't need a reservation for. So there are reserved cars and unreserved cars. But I observed as the trains that pull in the station, I would look at the unreserved cars. And even on real slow days where the rest of the train was empty, the unreserved cars were always very full. So that also argued for having a seat reservation in advance, whether it was required as it is in first class or optional like it is in second class. Okay. So maybe why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the stops you made? Like, did you, was it like two or three days here and there, like a day or two in each place? And then I'm also curious, like, did you go down like seven days and then turn around and then hit some things on the way back? Or did you go like as far as you wanted? And then you're like, damn, I got to go back. And then you just did one big, super high speed train back right before. the Right. I did uh, one sort of very large circle. It's kind of an irregular circle, but I landed in Nagoya. I didn't land in Tokyo or Osaka. I landed in Nagoya. And from there, I went up into the mountains because it was winter. And uh, the, what they kind of, in a tourism sense, call the, the Swiss or the Japanese Alps. You know, they're, they're actually quite beautiful. And I had never been up into the mountains uh, north of Nagoya. So I went up. And the first night, I stayed in Takayama which is just a little mountain village in some of the most gorgeous mountain countryside I've ever been around. It was freshly covered in snow. And even Japanese gardens look gorgeous when they're covered in snow. And because it's a nation of walkers, the walking routes and the walking trails and the walking paths were all shoveled and plowed and ready for me to set out every day. So first stop was Takayama. Ryan, when you're on this train, what are what's the experience like yeah. in the seats? Are you are you in a sleeper or in a yeah. nice padded seat, or just what's that environment and experience like on that Japanese train? Yeah, sorry to jump in real quick. Sorry, because we we've talked to you before about like travel in general, and just you'd mentioned how you like chatting up people. That it's a good way to meet locals. Like maybe is that still possible in Japan, or are you kind of on your own? 
Uh, you're a little bit more on your own because people are more private just culturally. And also J Japan is not a country with widespread knowledge of English. Mm. So there's a greater language barrier than you might expect. Um, but people are, of course, endlessly polite. People, you get a very nice smile. But in the in a way that, say, if you're on a Sri Lankan train, everyone wants to just start chatting you up. Uh, that's not the experience in Japan. Uh, as for the trains, uh, I didn't go any distance long enough to take a sleeper. They do have sleepers. Um, because I had splurged for my half-price first-class rail pass, uh, my favorite Japanese train story is actually the first train I got on in February, which was going from Nagoya up to the mountain town of Takayama. And, you know, with, in Europe and the U.S., first-class seats are pretty much the same as second-class or coach seats. You just have a little bit more space between them, but they tend to be sort of the same actual seat. Uh, not so on the Japanese trains. The first-class or green car seat, as they call them, uh, was like an enormous lounger. It was, you know, kind of the ultimate you know, lazy boy, barca lounger, whatever cliche you want to pick. So the seat alone was just extraordinarily comfy. And then this moment kind of summed up much about my travels in Japan. I got in, I sat down, uh, my seat was facing towards the back of the train. It was facing away from the direction of travel, but the it was the last car on the train and the end of it was all covered in glass. Um, so you could see where you had been and it was really a beautiful ride, but an announcement came on, a recorded announcement, first in Japanese, but then in English that said, uh, we inform you that at present, while you are facing in the opposite direction of travel in 22 minutes, we shall turn the train and you will yes. be facing in the direction of travel. And I just love that, you know, not only, well, in about 20 minutes, no, in 22 minutes. And just for the people sitting there who were kind of wringing their hands said, oh, I don't like the direction I'm facing. Well, there was a recording ready to jump in and put my mind at ease. That's pretty slick. What else goes on in the train? Yes. Like, are they are they selling food and drinks? I mean, is there a bar car? What, what could people expect when they're on that thing? Uh, there's a cart uh, will sometimes come around. There's all kinds of different levels of trains. You know, there's the bullet trains that are famous. Uh, they're quite spacious inside. Uh, much of the rail system in Japan is narrow gauge, meaning the tracks are closer together than you'd see in Europe or North America. So the cars are a bit smaller and they're a bit narrower. Okay. Uh, cafe and dining cars are not common, mm. but uh, an attendant with a drinks cart or a snack cart is. And then all the stations are filled with food vendors of all types selling takeaway food 
for your journey. Okay. And that actually is one of the fun things too, because you go and you get a box lunch and you have this myriad endless choice of box lunches that are beautifully packaged and just gorgeous assemblies of, of food. And you go around and you pick one and you take it on the train. And then that's part of the journey, enjoying what you bought at the station. Okay. So, you know, I like this idea again. I think if you're getting off here and there, you're probably not going to too many touristy places. Um, but like when you get off the train, Japan isn't really designed well for American visitors or visitors who can't speak Japanese, let's say. Um, were there some challenges there? Like when you get off the train to like, where am I going to get to my hotel? Because I'm in a rural part of Japan where they're not expecting a, a, a big white guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's it's our modern miracle of phones. Uh, Google Maps has the country covered uh, as well as any country in the world. Google Translate handles any issue with language. Uh, I tend to, you know, train stations in Japan, as in Europe, tend to be quite central in the middle of town. So you're not dumped out in some suburb somewhere. You get off the train. Uh, I try to book places usually close to the station so I can minimize the time I spend lugging my bag to and from the station if I'm going to be traveling a lot. And it also proved to be really helpful because I was making my nightly visits to the station to pick up seat reservations anyway. But no, actually, I found a language barrier to be no problem whatsoever. Not at all. That's that's pretty darn slick. So if somebody wanted yeah. to explore Japan by rail, like, like you've done, are there any particular things you would say they should consider or know about or maybe even particular resources that you found really handy when planning? Yeah, I would. Uh, the There are six main Japanese railways. Uh, they are all under the umbrella of Japan Rail, but they're broken up into six different regions, east, west, central, etc. Uh, they all make their schedules available online, and it's very helpful to just start figuring out what can you reasonably accomplish, because the country can look small compared to some countries, but away from the bullet trains, uh, the trains don't run very fast at all. And they can be incredibly scenic, but fairly twisty and turny going through mountain passes and through valleys. So you won't necessarily cover a lot of territory. Um, even though I was there for two weeks, I kept the area I covered pretty compact, just right to the middle of the country. Um, and I still had some three and four hour train rides. Uh, but I think the mistake people make is they look and go, oh, I think I'll go down to Nagasaki and then I'll, I'll, I'll pop up over here and then maybe drop by Sunday. And, you know, they try to get too much into too short a time and it becomes nothing but a, a just a marathon of long train rides. So I think get a sense of what is the distance between places you might be interested in and construct your trip that way. 
I'm going to assume it's safe and I'm going to assume that we're always going to make some sort of awkward cultural mistake, I guess. But, you know, I was recently, I, I caught some of the movie Planes, Trains and Automobiles when John Candy takes his socks off and starts on the airplane and starts yes. waving them around. You know, like, are there some things like, should you bring your own slippers to wear on the train or do they give you things like that? You know, like, are there any kind of Japanesey kind of things that you might want to bring you know, to make it easier, to make yourself fit in. I think uh, be as modest and unobtrusive, you know, which is kind of a joke for me because I'm a six foot four white guy. But, <laughs> you know, be polite, be humble, uh, don't make noise. <laughs> you know, it's like be a well-behaved five-year-old. You know, if you think of what your mom wanted you to act like when you were five, that's probably a good start. You know, be considerate. Don't take up more than your space. You know, put your bag up up above very neatly. Uh, I would actually, on the train itself, not take my shoes off. Uh, you know, it's it's really be unobtrusive, be polite, and constantly think of what you can do for others. You know, let someone else go past you first. Just all of those modest, polite, humble behaviors will get you far. Okay, so no swinging your socks around out in public, as Trevor suggested. Ooh, no, 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 no. I would, I would advise against. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Just be polite. Be, be a good representative of your country. Well, this is a great conversation. Uh, I've done some Japanese trains, but you've certainly piqued my interest in getting a pass and doing it for a while. How can people learn more about uh, Ryan's adventures and see what you're up to? Well, you go to my website, ryanverberkmos.com, and, uh, you know, actually put my name in Google and just put travel, and you will probably get more links to articles than you can imagine. Well, that's great. Or I guess they could tune into the show. You know, we're, we're having yes. you on to talk about Japan, and we're having you come in to talk about Sri Lanka. But I'm guessing there's a few other places in Asia that uh, we might have you back on in six months or a year or two years from now. I, I, I guess that's probably going to happen. I look forward to it. Thanks a ton, Ryan. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, Scott. I'm glad we had uh, Ryan on to talk about this train trip. I like the fact that he did this not for work you know for someone who again has written 150 guidebooks or something like that yeah. or contributed to them at least he's been to that many places um to, to have a place where you'd be like yeah, i'm just gonna go explore here without taking notes like japan seems like a good choice yeah i do like that he I, I, he never really said he deliberately has never written about there but you gotta figure a guy with all those writing contacts 150 guidebooks he could pitch someone on a story or he could get a, a, a book gig about it, but he hasn't done that. And I kind of like that he's kept th this area. It seems sort of private to that. I also like that he saw the past was on 50% and, and I'm going for it. And then I also think it's very neat that he just thought I'm not going anywhere else I've been before. And he seems to really deliberately have gone to secondary type places, traveled smart, staying near the train stations. And yeah, I think the whole trip is really admirable. Yeah, and then he came on Talk Travel Asia to share it with us. I kind of feel like Howard Stern when he has like some band on and they're like, yeah, we've never done this before, but we're just going to jam this out for you. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, uh, he's definitely a real, real pro traveler, pro writer. Um, Talk Travel super humble, Asia exclusive. Too. Yeah, and you know what else I like about him? Like you, yeah. Everyone listening doesn't know 
how much we edit, right? And some people are kind of very long-winded. Ryan was just a good storyteller and super concise. So he'd share an answer and there's like no editing in there. It's just his his full-on response. Um, you know, he had two weeks to do it. I also thought it was really practical how he said, you know, you look at the country and it doesn't look that big, but he only really covered sort of a, a small bit on the mil- middle island or something. So I kind of like that he emphasized, you know, don't try to go and cover the entire country. Pick a, pick a little bit, travel, see things, actually experience them. Yeah, you know, so that's some good kind of general advice rather than uh, don't hmm. you don't need to buy a Lonely Planet people to go explore a country. Just uh, go to Japan, book your train tickets in advance, and, uh, you know, just go enjoy yourself like uh, Ryan did. Yeah, this is a fun one. I sure want to do it. Keep the travel talk going. Become a patron by clicking donate on our website. Like Stephanie R., who heard an in-between episode, amongst other things, about snakes in toilets here. So if you want the special nuggets, become a patron. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Cambodia?